Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Sacred City Church Online. This is day 1,265 of the 2020 coronavirus quarantine. And I'm coming to you live from our Sacred City broadcast bunker. I feel like I'm in an episode of Lost and Groundhog Day somehow combined here. I hope that you are all doing well. My family and I are doing pretty good considering the circumstances. Uh, My wife is doing better than I. She's living her best life. During this quarantine, she's really enjoying it. She's an introvert. She loves her people. So she's just crushing all of the things, homeschooling and doing projects around the house and taking care of the family. And I am a level 120 on Call of Duty. So there's that. Um, I know it's really weird watching a video sermon week after week. It's weird for me, too, to preach to uh, two people in a room. That's really, really strange. Um, I want you to know that, that uh, your pastors are praying for you. Your pastors are caring for you. We love you. And we are still here for you. This isn't all that we're doing, nor is it all that we can do. So if you need anything, please email us, text us, call us, message us on Realm. Um, just let us know how we can serve you. If you just need a phone call, if you just need to talk, whatever it is, we want to be here for you. We have got a long road ahead of us. There's going to be all kinds of consequences um, from the coronavirus and our economic shutdown that we are going to have to walk to walk through together. So if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling stressed out, if you're feeling anxious, please reach out so that we can be a blessing and we can minister to you personally. Now, um, let me pray for us, and we're going to jump into our text this morning and do the one thing that we do week in and week out, and that is read God's Word, study it, and I get to preach it, and hopefully bring some good news to you in the midst of our crazy world. So let me pray. Father, we come before you now, and we seek your blessing. We seek your wisdom, we seek your grace, we seek your mercy, we seek your insight. God, you have what we need that we lack information, we lack wisdom, we lack understanding. Um, And you possess in yourself all of those things. You always know what's right. You always know what's good. You always know what's true. 
And so we need to come to you this morning for that special revelation. Sift through all the junk in our world. Sift through all the stuff out there on the internet. Sift through everything that confuses us and give us something that we know to be true. Would you speak to us? Would you bring light into our darkness? I pray that you would do this through a sinful vessel like me. That you would literally think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords that your people wouldn't hear my words, but they would hear your words this morning. And you'd bring life to our souls. You would bring encouragement where we're discouraged, strength where we're weak, insight where we're foggy, that you would do all of this for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1944, C.S. Lewis gave the memorial lecture at King's College, the University of London, and he titled it The Inner Ring. It's a fascinating talk that I would recommend you look it up and read it in its entirety when you have some time. But I'm going to do my best to summarize it a little bit for us this morning. In that talk, Lewis argues convincingly that a core reality of the human condition is that we all feel like outsiders to some inner ring of people that we want to be a part of. And unless our eyes are open to this fact and we actively resist it or actively fight against it, we will never really understand why we do the things that we do. See, here's the reality. When you feel like an outsider, when you feel like an outsider looking into some group, you will compulsively do almost anything to get inside that inner ring. These inner rings are present at every stage and level of society. From the pre-K playground to the highest level of governmental office and the military. See, let me give you a few of these really common inner rings. First, the inner ring of popularity or celebrity. This is the inner ring. We look at a group and we say, those are the lovely. Those people are loved. They're admired. They're cheered. I want to be in that group. So we see some group of people and we say, okay, those are the in people. They're loved. Now, what do I have to do to get into that ring? Now, funny thing is, it's not simple. Because once you get into that ring, you realize that there's still another ring. And you want to get inside that ring as well. So here's one common example, right? You want to make the baseball team. So you work really hard and you do that. Congratulations. You go and you check after you know, the cuts, you look on the sheet, your name's there, you feel elated, you feel wonderful. You've made the inner ring of the varsity baseball team. But then, a day or two after practice begins, you realize that once you're on the team, there's still other inner rings within the team itself, right? There's the starters, there's the 
cool kids. There's the ones that go out drinking on the weekends and sleep with their girlfriends. And so all of a sudden you've made the team, you're in one inner ring, but you feel compelled to start to work your way inside some new inner ring, right? You want to be a starter. You want to be a captain. You want to play college ball, right? You want to make the pros. There's always a new inner ring to be had. And this goes on and on and on. And the reality is, When your desire is to be loved and to be popular and to be accepted, there will always be another ring to desire and to want to work yourself into. No matter how many rings you work your way into, there's always going to be another one that you want, that you desire, that you feel an outsider to. So that's the inner ring of popularity and celebrity, the inner ring of being loved. There's also the inner ring of power. This is the inner ring that is the wealthy and the powerful, right? We see, we want to make six figures. We have this in our mind and we work our way into it and we make six figures and we feel great for about a day and a half and now all of a sudden we want to make whatever it is, right? Another number, seven figures or whatever. There's always another ring to be had. There's always someone, unless your name is Solomon, there's always someone more powerful and more wealthy than you are. Then there's the inner ring of wisdom and education, right? We, we want this, we want to work our way into the, the ring of the wise. And once you get into that ring, you realize maybe it's college education, maybe it's a master's degree, maybe it's a PhD. You always realize there's still another book to be read. There's still another subject that you don't quite understand, right? There's always someone out there with more wisdom than you and you always feel like a dummy. Right? Then there's the inner ring of beauty and health. There's the desire to be one of the beautiful. But those who are most beautiful are usually are the ones who feel most ugly because they're most aware of their flaws. Because how beautiful is beautiful enough? Right? How healthy is healthy enough? Then there's the inner ring of religion and morality. This is the inner ring of goodness. I just want to be a good person. And you get yourself into one ring only to find out that there's people better than you. There's people more holy than you. There's people more righteous than you. There's people that are hard, more you know, hardworking and they pray longer and they read more. And the inner rings just get smaller and smaller and smaller. But you always feel like an outsider trying to work your way in. Now here's what Lewis is saying. All of us, every human on the planet, feels like this. They have this sense inside of them like they're an outsider to some inner ring of people and they'll be happy, they'll be whole, they'll be good once they work their way in. Now, what's interesting when you think about this, Lewis plays this out in his lecture, nearly all of the things we've done in our life, especially the really bad things, have been to get in or to stay in some inner ring. We were trying to work our way in, and so maybe we said, maybe we lied about someone. We lied about someone to keep them out and to put myself in, right? The rings that we want to be in tell us everything we must do in order to earn our acceptance into the group. How many of us have chosen what clothes to wear 
based upon not what we want to wear, but rather what we think this inner ring will find acceptable. Now, it's interesting. All you have to do is walk down the halls. I mean, this is a high school example, but you can go anywhere. You walk down the halls of a high school and you can see pretty much what group a person is trying to fit into based upon how they dress, how they wear. I know from personal experience because I went through so many different phases as a teenager that I had clothing in every single category, right? I had athletic clothing because I was a jock, right? I had nice clothing because I was a prep, then I went through a season where I was a skater, and so I dressed like a skater for a little while. And then I had this urban season, so I was dressing a little bit urban. And I had this emo season where I was wearing really tight jeans. Well, that really hasn't changed much, but I was wearing really tight jeans and, and tight t-shirts all the time, right? There was, you know, a nerd community. There's a country community. I could never, even though I went through a country phase and I wanted to go to the fair and I wanted to live on a farm and all this kind of stuff, I really couldn't get myself to go to school in my cowboy boots. I just couldn't do that. But there's this reality, and this is just a kind of a benign example, a little, you know, immature example, but we, oftentimes we dress in order to fit into some inner ring, not actually what I want to wear, right? Now, clothing is just one example. Our inner rings actually determine almost all of our behavior. We look at some group and we try to figure out what it will take for me to get in. Now, I'm not saying this is necessarily bad. It's, it's not. It's just a fact of life. But here's what naturally happens. In order for there to be an inner ring, there's got to be insiders and outsiders. There's got to be some line that demarcates who's in and who's out. So in order for there to be insiders, there's got to be exclusion. There's got to be people who just don't get it, who just don't make the cut, who can't fit in, who can't figure it out, right? There's got to be the successful and the unsuccessful. There's got to be the hardworking and the not hardworking, right? There's got to be the athletic and the unathletic, the educated and the uneducated, the beautiful and the ugly, the rich, the poor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what this tends to do is it makes people judgmental and proud over and against one another. It literally, this idea of the inner ring destroys the possibility of community because we have to exclude certain people in order to feel like insiders. This is why you've got all the problems on college campuses with fraternities, right? They're hazing people. They're doing things. Why doesn't hazing stop? Because people were hazed and they feel like it's not fair just to let people in. We need to haze them as well. We don't want standards to be lowered. We want it to be hard to get in. You see this in the military all the time. It's not just to join the army or join the Navy. You want to work your way into some inner ring and you want to be, quote, the tip of the spear, the Navy SEALs, or within the Navy SEALs, you want to be a scout sniper or whatever it is, right? There's always inner rings to work your way into. And these inner rings, once you get in, you feel really proud and really judgmental of all the slackers who couldn't make it in. Right? So, in a sense, these inner rings actually destroy community. The whole system 
runs on judgment. I'm judging those who can't get in. On envy, I'm looking at those at the next inner ring and I'm desiring what they have and I'm wanting to get into that inner ring. And the fear of being excluded, that I don't want to be an outsider. I don't want to feel unloved or ugly or uneducated or, what, or poor. I don't want to feel like that. I want to be included, right? So in other words, here it is. In other words, the, the inner ring runs in a biblical world, or a biblical word, the law. The law. Here's what the law says. Do this and you'll be accepted. That's all you got to do. Obey and you'll be loved. Obey and you'll be wise. Obey and you'll be strong and powerful. That's how the law works. Do this, get that all the time, right? So you can do this and be included or you can do that and be excluded. That's, the, that's how the law works. And what Paul is addressing here in Colossians 2 is when this inner ring mindset tries to make its way into the church. Or I could say, when this inner ring mindset tries to make its way back into the church, because the reality is, if you're in the church, then the, you've been crucified to the law because Jesus has fulfilled the law, and you didn't get in by any of your own behaviors. You got in by the sheer grace of God. But what tends to happen is once we get into the church, once we accept and believe the gospel, that the law comes back in. The law rears its ugly head again and this inner ring mindset that's so hard to defeat, it's so hard to kill, it rises up again and begins to infect the church, right? So here's what we know about these Christians in Colossae. One, they're Christians. They've already put their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said that over and over again. They are in Christ, Okay. Secondly, we know that they've been baptized into the local body of Christ. They are members of the church at Colossae. So they have already been brought into Christ and they've already been brought into the church. But now something begins to, to, to start uh, rearing up in the church. There's some false teachers that are coming in and they're teaching. Here's what they're teaching. Here it is. If you really want to be serious... If you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be devout, not a wishy-washy, right? You want to be serious. You want to be a Navy SEAL Christian. If you really want to be good, here's what you got to do. Now, what, what we're doing here or what they're doing here is they're laying out, these false teachers are laying out what it takes to get into an inner ring in the church, an inner ring, spiritually speaking. And what are the requirements? Well, it seems it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what these false teachers are saying, but the way Paul uh, is speaking to them, it seems like there's really two requirements or two options for this inner ring Christianity that's trying to spring up in the church of Colossae. I'm going to call them asceticism, and mysticism. Both of those words, uh, we, we might not really know what they mean. Paul uses one specifically here in our text. Let's take a closer look um, because I really think it's not much different today. I think the same legalism, the same law, the same inner ring spirituality affects the church today. Look at verse 16. Paul says this, therefore, so 
because of everything he said before about being in Christ, about believing the gospel. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on, here it is, asceticism, okay, asceticism, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Okay, you hear some key words here. You hear past judgment, right? You hear on let no one disqualify you. See, those are key words for an inner ring, right? When you're trying to work your way on an inner ring, you're judging those on the outside and you're qualifying who gets in and who gets out. And he's saying because of the gospel that you've already believed, don't let anyone pass judgment on you on these things and don't, let anyone, and don't disqualify yourself. Now here's what he's talking about. This asceticism, right? Paul calls this approach, I'm gonna say it like this, Jesus plus asceticism. Now what is asceticism? In its simplest form, asceticism Here's the definition, dictionary. Dictionary Dictionary.com says, asceticism is severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. And he names a few specifics in our text. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He talks about these being a shadow of the things to come. Now what he's speaking of is he's really speaking of Old Testament purity laws, right? These Old Testament purity laws and ceremonies, they were a shadow of the thing to come. They were a shadow preparing us for the coming of Christ and Christ has fulfilled it. Now, here's the deal. You can go and read the Old Testament And the Old Testament has all kinds of restrictions on what a person could or could not eat. These laws were to prevent the people from becoming ritually unclean and unable to worship God in the public gathering, okay? They were not just a diet to promote health, okay? They weren't something that we should go back and we should, oh, that's how we should eat. I know people like this. I know people that go back and they they try to, they're not cutting their hair because Samson didn't cut his hair and they're on the Samson diet and they're, and they're, you know, we're all having the quarantine Samson haircut right now, right? We're just not cutting our hair, right? Those things were a shadow and Christ is the substance. Now, what does that mean? Once Jesus came, you, you don't need the shadow anymore. Once Jesus came, all of those laws are now no, they are no longer necessary, right? Jesus came and Jesus through his life, death and resurrection, I could go into a lot more detail, but I don't have time. He has made us clean now. 
Our sins, though they were red as scarlet, they've been made white as snow. We are ritually clean once we put our faith in Christ. Jesus gives us his righteousness. And now we can worship him without any dietary restrictions. We don't need any of those Old Testament um, regulations to help us worship God, right? This is why in Acts chapter 10, God speaks to Peter and says, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. And he sees pigs and things that were richly unclean. He says, Lord, never, I've never ate anything unclean. And he says, he says, don't call anything else unclean. If God made it, it's no longer unclean to you, right? All of those dietary restrictions taken away. Now, we have entire sections in the bookstore on Christians who come up with some diet out of the Old Testament right? We've got the Daniel diet, right? And it's, that's like kind of a return to legalism. You've got the modern day equivalent that says if Jesus lived today, he'd be a vegan, right? No, he wouldn't be a vegan, right? He wouldn't. Jesus said, rise up, kill and eat, right? Now, all of these, or we have, here's a new one, Jesus plus teetotalism. If you don't know what teetotalism is, it means Jesus plus I don't drink alcohol, right? For a religious reason, not, not out of wisdom, like my parents were alcoholics, so I'm avoiding it, but it's somehow it's more spiritual to be a vegan. It's more spiritual to eat this specific diet. It's more spiritual to avoid alcoholism or to avoid alcohol. I'm sorry, right? Now, all of this is forms or ways of going back to the law. Going back to do this and it'll go well for you, do bad and it won't. These laws, all of them, stem, right, from the Old Testament way of doing things. And it's all the belief that following the rules can somehow make us right with God or following the rules can keep us right with God. When we do that, We are making light of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are saying that what Jesus did on the cross is not enough for my total salvation, my justification, my sanctification, my future glorification, that somehow the cross isn't enough. I need to add some kind of legalism into it if I'm really going to be serious about it. I need Jesus plus asceticism. Jesus plus law. Jesus plus moralism. Jesus plus man-made religion. Now this is the rule-based approach to spiritual life with God. And many of us, if we grew up in Christian homes, this is kind of what we picked up. We didn't pick up this vital, life-giving walk with God that's all based on grace we picked up this sense of moralism, this sense of the law that we need to walk under and this heavy weight and this heavy burden that we carry. And the scary thing is this approach, it sounds so close to being right, right? That's why it's attractive. It sounds so close. There's something about it that sounds right to us because we have this sense of wanting to work our way into an inner ring when we hear, oh yeah, there is an inner ring spiritually. That's those who pray this long, those who read their Bible for this long, those who go to church like this, those who do that. 
We put all these lists in, oh, that's how you get in the inner ring. That sounds right to me. But in reality, this approach lacks all spiritual power. Look at verses 21 through 23. Paul says this. I'm, I'm, let's start at verse 20, actually. I, I apologize. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, that means the natural ways of man, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? What are its regulations? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to, look, human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. So they seem right to us in promoting, look, self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now listen, We need to clarify some things. When he says, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Now, there are some things that we should use wisdom on that that clearly this still pertains to. There are some things that are clearly sin, and that's still true of the Christian, that we should avoid things that cause us to sin. We should not view pornography, period, right? That, That we should know that. That's not asceticism to avoid pornography. But to take the the things in our life that God has given us that are good food, drink, etc., and to say, I'm going to abstain from those things and not just for like a day or two of fasting, but for some kind of prolonged season to somehow get myself right with God or feel more in tune with God or get myself into some inner ring, spiritually speaking, that should be avoided. And Paul says specifically that they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, right? Because in, in a sense, if we're trying to work our way into some inner ring, spiritually speaking, we're actually giving our flesh what it wants and feeding our envy and feeding our pride and getting in and being able to look down on those on the outside. Now, I meet all kinds of people that believe this gospel. You could say it's Jesus plus asceticism, Jesus plus rule-based living, Jesus plus moralism. They say things like, oh, I know I need Jesus and I know I'm a sinner and I know I need to be forgiven my sin. I could never earn my way in. I could never earn my forgiveness. But if you're really going to flourish spiritually, you have got to abstain from alcohol. You've got to eat this certain diet. You've got to start searching the Old Testament for obscure passages and ceremonies and rituals and start practicing them. I've had people leave our church to kind of go back to the law, literally stop celebrating Christmas, stop celebrating all of our holidays that we have and start going back and trying to live under the law, right? And Paul is saying, in no uncertain terms, don't do that. Now listen, Interestingly, there's, there's another side to this inner ring spirituality that's trying to make its way into the church. And I think we can call this Jesus plus mysticism. Even though we don't use that word too often, um, Paul, he names a couple things in here um, specifically. He says this in verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, and here it is, and worship of angels 
going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So we have Jesus plus mysticism, this idea of worshiping angels or spiritual visions. Now, I'm not going to get into this too much, but there are so many false preachers and false teachers in our world today who promote this kind of mystic stuff. Especially on TV, on TBN, or on the internet. They love to say, God told me this, and God told me that, and I was up praying early, and God spoke this to me, and I have a word for you today, brothers and sisters. They go on and on about visions that they've had, and all their stuff, it sounds really spiritual. Something about it kind of Sounds true. I want to believe some of it. I I even saw this week some religious clown claiming he could blow away the coronavirus with a holy wind. Absolute fool, right? We've got entire churches like Bethel out in California that have stepped away from Orthodox Christianity and they've gotten into all kinds of demonic, mystic, weird stuff like this, all in search of mystery, all in search of the miraculous, all in search of some inner ring of spiritual life with God. I want to be, I want Jesus plus to be able to work miracles, Jesus plus prophetic dreams, Jesus plus visions, Jesus plus all kind of mystic, weird stuff. Paul says that that is false teaching And if you believe it, it disqualifies you from life with God. It comes from someone who is puffed up in his sensuous mind. What does it mean to be puffed up? It means to be proud. It means to be arrogant. It means to be, oh, I'm one of the ones who gets it. I really get what spiritual life with God is all about. It's all about visions. It's all about dreams. It's all about morals. It's all about rules and regulations. I'm an insider who gets it. And those outsiders They don't get it. See, both of these approaches to life with God say that if you want to get into the inner ring spiritually, you need something other than Jesus to do it. Therefore, Paul calls both of these approaches self-made religion. We could call them both forms of legalism. A simple definition of legalism is this. Jesus plus anything to get you into or to keep you into an inner ring. You need Jesus plus whatever it is. That's legalism. Now, one of the side effects of any inner ring, this inner ring reality, I've already said it, is there has to be outsiders in order for there to be insiders. There's always got to be people who just don't quite get it, who don't get in. Now, what this does is it it creates division, right? It creates strife. It creates animosity, creates envy, creates creates all kind of dissension and every other evil thing, right? It absolutely destroys community. Paul says it like this in our text. He says, well, let's look at it. He says, 
puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, verse 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Now, this is a a beautiful metaphor of the body of Christ, that Jesus is the head, that we exist as a community of people, as his body, that we grow as we stay connected to our head. Obviously, you cut the head off the body, it stops growing, that we work, that we're knit together, that we function properly only as we are united to one another and united to the head. And he says this, Jesus plus anything cuts the head off the body. That's what it does. Jesus plus moralism, Jesus plus asceticism, Jesus plus mysticism, you're deheading, you're beheading, I'm sorry, you're beheading the church and all of a sudden the body of Christ is going to begin to lack the spiritual vitality, the spiritual power, the the unity that it's naturally meant to have, right? It cuts off the life-giving, unity-provoking power of Jesus to the church. Now, this is why you can step into some churches, you can step into some small groups, you can step into some religious organizations, and they feel divisive. They feel cliquish. They feel cold. They feel ingrown. You can't join that group. that We've been together for two years and we don't want outsiders. They're really hard to work your way or to get your way into. Why? Because Jesus plus something is ruling that church or ruling that little community and they become divisive and ingrown and no longer missional, no longer with an outward facing longing for people to be accepted, longing for people to come into. Now here's what we need to see from our text this morning. The church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a radically inclusive community of people centered on the grace of God. The grace of God that goes out and gets us and brings us into this community, right? We have been brought into the body of Christ by Jesus and he is what holds us together. We did not work our way into this community. We didn't earn our way into this community. So we can't draw circles and point at others and say, well, if you get your act together, then you could be like one of us. No, no, no. Jesus is what brought us in and Jesus is what holding us together. So we don't create inner rings within the church. We don't create inner rings of legalism. We don't promote religious diets. We don't promote religious extreme forms of asceticism or extreme fasting, Old Testament weird celebrations or mystic practices like seeing visions and dreaming dreams and talking with angels and becoming super, super spiritual. Now you might ask, Justin, hold on. Why does this reality exist to begin with? Why do we feel like outsiders and we just crave to be insiders and we would really do almost anything to get inside some group? 
This is why a, a little girl on the playground, she's having playing with her best friend and some new girl shows up and maybe she just turns away from her best friend and becomes new best friends with this new girl and they start excluding the other girl. Why? Because they want to feel powerful. They want to feel loved. They want to feel exclusive. And so they draw a new circle around and they keep others out, right? This is, this, it goes all the way up all the levels of society. Now, why is this real? Why is this a human reality? It's so strange. Why do we feel like we're only going to be happy if we work our way into some group? Because at the center of reality is an inner ring. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit exist at the center of reality. And we were created to know them. We were made Imago Dei in the image of God to be a part of their community, to be on the inside. And yet because of our sin, we are, we have been excluded. We are outsiders unable to get in. So that's why we feel like an outsider. That means we were born with this desire to get in, this desire that we are absolutely unable to fulfill that we crave to get into this inner ring, but because of our sinfulness, we can never do it on our own. In fact, C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, he says this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Here's the reality. We crave to get into an inner ring and yet every ring we get into, we realize there's another inner ring and we're always wanting it. That, that's why if you crave power, you can make your way to the top echelons of power. You can become the president and yet still feel like an outsider. So if I have this desire to get into an inner ring and yet there's no inner ring on the earth that will actually satisfy me, Lewis says, the reality is you were made for another world. Or I would say, you're made for another ring. The inner ring of the essence of everything, and that's God himself. That's the Trinity. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You were made to be in that community. You were made to be a part of his community. And the beauty of Christianity, the, the message that I'm proclaiming this morning, this message of the gospel... The good news is this, because of Jesus, we get access into the inner ring of the universe, the inner ring of reality. We get in. We can never earn our way into this family. We can never work our way in, perform our way in. And Jesus, he does what we cannot do. Jesus works us in for us. See, we can never earn our way into the family, but we get adopted by the sheer grace of God because of the work of Jesus. And that's really the answer and the key to the quest to getting in to some inner ring. See, when you come to realize I'm never going to get there. 
whatever it is I'm searching for, I'm never going to get in by my own efforts. And you give up. You throw in the towel and you put your full weight on Jesus. You trust him with your whole heart. He is the one who gets you in. Now, it's a beautiful paradox. Jesus said it like this. You lose your life to find it. You go down to go up. You humble yourself and admit your spiritual bankruptcy and Jesus exalts you and deposits his righteousness into your spiritual bank account. You admit, I'm an outsider and I can never work my way in and Jesus brings you in himself. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. And here's how that begins to work itself out in your life as you come to believe it. Here's how it works inside the church, the community of grace, the body of Christ. You start working the gospel into your mind, into your heart, and you start examining, why am I doing what what I'm doing? Why am I hoarding money away and not being generous? Why do I feel like I need to exclude certain people from my missional community or from my friends list? Why do I feel a compulsive desire to get in with that group of people? And you start searching your heart and you start realizing that you're craving something from them. You're craving love, you're craving acceptance, you're craving power, you're craving beauty, you're craving creating whatever it is. And then you start asking yourself, what am I craving from these people that Jesus hasn't already given me a thousand times over by his grace, right? And as you begin to take the gospel into your mind and into your heart, that begins to change you. And all of a sudden you realize, wait, 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 wait. I'm actually already in. I've already been accepted into the inner ring of the universe, right? I am one of the redeemed. I am one of the children of God. I am one of the family of God. That I have a future promised inheritance that's already guaranteed waiting for me in heaven. That Jesus is working on my behalf right now, renewing and restoring all the universe. And one day I'll get to walk in this paradise called the new heavens and the new earth and walk with God. And I'm going to have the streets are paved with gold like wealth and power and prosperity, all that's already promised to me in the new heavens and the new earth. What am I doing trying to work my way into some little group here on earth? And all of a sudden, the power of the inner ring gets broken. You you realize I'm already in. I'm already in. I don't need to work my way in. And the beauty of that, what happens is when you realize you don't need to work your way in, you realize you don't need to judge those on the outside anymore. You don't need to be critical of those on the outside anymore. You don't need to separate and exclude yourself. You don't need to surround yourself with people who are just like you any longer. You can actually cross the aisle, Democrat, Republican. You can actually hang out with people who are super fit and people who are relatively unhealthy. You can hang out with people who have all kinds of different views on things. Why? Because I'm not trying to work my way in and so Therefore, I don't need to judge anybody else on the outside. That's the way Jesus lived his life. That's why Jesus was so attractive to people, right? He was so welcoming and inclusive, and yet he was absolutely holy and he was absolutely pure, and he never sinned himself once. 
And I pray that our church would be marked like this, that we would look like this. We would avoid Jesus plus anything. We would avoid legalism. We'd avoid asceticism. We'd avoid mysticism. And we would say Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we would be a radically welcoming, loving, hospitable, inclusive Christian community. And we do that by staying true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us this morning. Father, the gospel is news too good to be true. And yet it's true that the sense of being an outsider is true and we can never work our way in. We can never make your team. But Jesus came and did what we could not do for us in our place. And so by the sheer grace of God, we get adopted into the family of God. We get brought in. So we have no right to judge anyone on the outside. We have no right to feel better about ourselves, morally superior, like we're the ones who get it and they don't. Because it wasn't our wisdom that got us in, it wasn't our power, it wasn't our beauty, it wasn't our wealth, it wasn't our popularity. It was the exact opposite. It was the reality of our sinfulness. It was the reality of your grace that you came and did what we could not do ourselves. As we saw last week, you brought life to the spiritually dead. And for that we give thanks, for that we worship you now. And I pray that you would take that reality and you would knead it down into our souls. Work it down into our souls. And so it's not just something we believe and something that we proclaim, but it's something we live out. That we are radically inclusive, Father God. We are centered on your grace And we will not allow the law to sneak its way back in and create inner rings within the church of Jesus Christ. Rings that Jesus died to destroy. He tore down all the dividing walls of hostility between us that keep us separated. And Father, would you unite us again inside your body, inside the body of Christ, and would you bring nourishment to every part of our body now? In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen and amen.